This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. Well, you're listening to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast, where each week we preview and review all the big business and markets news with an Oanda senior market analyst from across the world. And this week, it is Jeff Halley, Amanda Senior Market Analyst for Asia Pacific, and Jeff is in Singapore. Good morning from the UK, and good evening to you, sir. Good evening to you uh, from Singapore. Great to be here. Let's start with market reaction from your side of the world. Asian markets reflecting the losses on global markets on Thursday after America and Germany officially entered recession, and uh, some of the world's largest companies revealed some losses as a result of COVID-19. But things have steadied as far as Europe this morning, Jeff. What we have to remember here is that quite a lot of Asia was closed today with the um, Hari Raya Haji holiday. So Singapore, uh, the Philippines, Malaysia, Indonesia, the largest country in Southeast Asia, all closed today. And Singapore out trading has been a bit more muted. We did see China initially rally this morning after uh, official China PMI. Uh, came out uh, still expansionary, but uh, it's given up those gains. And generally what we've seen is the very much export-facing economies such as uh, Japan and uh, Australia with a heavy concentration of export-facing companies in them, both reflecting those uh, losses uh, on Wall Street overnight, despite the fact that after our futures rallied and US futures rallied in, in Asia after the Big tech results came out after the markets closed. It does seem to be, though, that uh, Europe is steadying. I personally felt that um, the big tech results would uh, have a more positive impact on Asia, and I'm quite surprised they didn't. But they seem to be having the desired effect in, uh, in Europe today. Yeah, those tech results were interesting, especially when you consider the bruising that some of their CEOs took uh, from Congress a couple of days ago. Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Google, all posting huge profits. It's certainly a show of strength uh, following those tough questions from all sides about their size and uh, power. How do you think uh, those CEOs did that day? I think they mostly did uh, pretty well, to be honest. Uh, I think the problem's going to lie after the election if we have a change of government, uh, perhaps to a a Democrat-controlled White House and Houses of Congress. This antitrust uh, issue will be revisited again and it's going to be much harder for these uh, chief executives to plead poverty and that they allow competition and they don't squash competitors uh, when you see the outsized financial performance from uh, all of them uh, overnight. You you saw Alphabet uh, was expected to have a revenue fall but even its revenue still grew but less uh, but more than what was expected. The other three, uh, Amazon, uh, Facebook and uh, Apple all uh, posted much higher than expected results, further enforcing this bomb-proof, uh, COVID-19-proof business model that they uh, have had priced into their stocks, i.e. they can make lots and lots of money no matter um, uh, no matter what is going on in the wider economy. There are also uh, concerns growing about the, the concentration risk uh, in the S&P and NASDAQ index. And the S&P, I think the FANG index is now 25% of total market cap. When you think that the big four are worth more than $5 trillion now, it's eye-watering really. Certainly investor concern has been heightened. And uh, you briefly alluded to it earlier to President Trump's suggestion that the November election could be postponed. 
he can't actually do that. Can he can't actually postpone the election himself. He can't make that decision. The question is though whether he's laying the ground to question the result should Biden win, and that opens up all sorts of worries for markets: civil disobedience, questioning the democratic system, and so on. So I suppose watch this space. Yeah, I think we're only going to go down that path if uh, the election is uh, extremely close, i.e. too close to call. It may also explain why he's so anti-postal voting as well, something else he's been beating his drum about. He doesn't have the power to change the election date. Uh, uh, That would have to, uh, from my understanding, uh, see a new act, uh, a law or an amendment uh, to the Constitution or such a thing uh, uh, passed through both houses of Congress the Democrats control the House of Representatives, so that would be uh, dead dead on arrival. We have to also remember it's not just the presidential election on that day. We have governorships all over the country, uh, district voting uh, for, for officials at uh, lower urban levels. We have senators, houses of representatives. Uh, we have a huge uh, plethora of different offices all running uh, in that election that day, and to actually physically change the election date from an administrative point of view would be a complete nightmare. Indeed. And I hear what you're saying about the postal votes, though one would expect Trump to close in on Biden's lead at the moment. They're talking about something in the region of five to seven percent for Biden at the moment. They're also saying that maybe even Texas could go Democrat. That really would be a huge win for Biden. And that would be a very crushing defeat for Donald Trump. In that situation, he couldn't question it. Uh, Having said all that, I do believe that Trump could close that gap. And uh, if it's sort of less than 2%, 2%, 3% in the difference, that mischief making could really take a different load. Yes, it could. But I think uh, it's really going to come down to COVID-19 and its effect on the economy. As we know, COVID-19 is rampaging in an almost uncontrolled manner, it seems, across the US, the Western US and Southern states in the United States. Uh, those Sunbelt states uh, have a number of, uh, A, huge uh, voting uh, bases, and B, key, uh, key swing states, most notably Florida amongst them. Uh, if the economy has a double dip because uh, of renewed shutdowns, squashing economic activity, if COVID-19 is still with them so strongly by the election date, And you have to realise the old people who voted for him in the last election are the most vulnerable part of the US population. And he's been plummeting in popularity in in that demographic. I think if those things come to pass, there's nothing that uh, President Trump will be able to, it will be a hole he won't be able to dig himself out of. So um, it's all, the, the closest of the election will be entirely dependent on the trajectory of the economy. And that will be dependent on whether the United States finally gets a grip on this COVID-19 pandemic. And there was a fairly gloomy report from the Federal Reserve, wasn't there, uh, yesterday over the current US spike in COVID-19 infections, adding to fears of more job losses amid the pandemic, which continues to pound the global economy, but particularly in the United States. Yes. And if you look at just about any central bank uh, in recent times. We had the RBA talking uh, last week as well. They're beating much the same drum, and Australia has done better than most uh, in recovering and controlling COVID-19. Uh, the state of Victoria aside, uh, the RBNZ, same sort of tone, uh, the ECB, same sort of tone, and we'll see the Bank of England making the same noises next week as well. But the Federal Reserve 
is looking at the real economy, not the stock market, and it doesn't like what it's seeing. And what they're doing is going out of their way to reassure financial markets that they stand there effectively to backstop credit markets globally and to flood the system with as much liquidity as they need to keep the wheels turning in global commerce. So um, you won't find a central bank at the moment in the world that's got an upbeat outlook. And I think uh, that's a very important uh, note to make. Hmm. Of course, travel and tourism, Jeff, really bearing the brunt of this crisis. And we've had British Airways owner IAG tapping shareholders for £2.5 billion in an attempt to shore up its balance sheet after swinging to a record loss in the first half of the year. Qatar Airways Group, which is IAG's largest shareholder, that has a 25% stake in IAG. They've confirmed their support for the uh, equity raise. So that, that is actually encouraging news, I suppose, for the BA owner. I think one good thing here is that, and we should note that uh, One World, which is the airline alliance grouping, Qatar and British Airways are part of that same uh, grouping. Uh, British Airways can be thankful that Qatar Airways is effectively an offshoot of the Qatari government, which is very rich, and thus they do have the money to invest uh, into, um, in, into British Airways. So they've got some very, very strong shareholders behind them which is probably going to lead them in a better position than many. But if we look at British Airways, it's very much an international airline. It's, there's not a heavy, heavy uh, domestic uh, uh, market for uh, flights within the United Kingdom. It's not like uh, the United States with the US airlines or uh, airlines working within continental Europe. Uh, into, British Airways flies internationally. And we can see the same thing to a certain extent with uh, uh, airlines such as Singapore Airlines uh, very international-facing airlines have been hammered very, very badly. Cathay Pacific, another classic example of, of, of this issue. Uh, they don't have a domestic, a huge domestic market to fall back on. So I, I'm actually still very negative on uh, airlines. I think the worst is yet to come for them. Uh, what's being demonstrated around the world is COVID-19 is popping up everywhere again. Uh, and I think this is the new normal where it makes us come back and lockdowns have to happen. Uh, all over again uh, to a lesser extent but still nevertheless they will dampen activity but this won't be good for international air travel and I think all this noise about international travel bubbles and air bridges is is really just hope rather than reality at this stage. Yeah we've seen evidence of that this week of course with all those people in Spain being told to come back and uh, face uh, quarantine and that's going to make people very very wary of booking a holiday or a trip abroad in the future, isn't it? Yeah, and you don't necessarily know if you're going to get your money back either. I mean, I've seen some stories. I'm from New Zealand, and yeah, New Zealand's had some quite uh, tough, tough times as well, being a very international-facing airline. Uh, but there's people who have booked flights back to New Zealand. Those flights have been cancelled, but the airlines, for example, not refunding that money. They're giving you a credit for the future. So the, the danger is also um, if, if, uh, if consumers are booking flights to other parts of the world, the flights get cancelled, but they don't get their money back. And that just adds more. You know, you're effectively taking a, a credit risk on booking your airline tickets, and that's going to only discourage uh, international travel. It's not going to encourage it. Yeah, I speak from personal experience. I've got uh, a couple of weeks in the Greek island of Corfu waiting for me at the end of uh, August. So <laughs> fingers crossed that nothing goes wrong there. I had my fingers crossed for you. Yeah, indeed. Before I let you go, Jeff, what should we look ahead to for next week? 
Okay, well, we've got a few central bank meetings uh, in Asia. We've got RBA, we've got the Bank of uh, Thailand. They'll keep rates uh, unchanged, uh, but will be very dovish. Uh, India will almost certainly cut rates next week. Uh, we've got the Bank of England next week, although it will also uh, probably hold fast at 0 0.25, uh, 0.1, sorry, and uh, keep their quantitative easing targets. The week's highlights are going to be uh, the Kaizen uh, China PMI, which should still be expansionary, suggesting that Asia's slow but sure recovery is still on track. And then the week's highlight it will become at the end of the week, which will be US non-farm payrolls, uh, had an outsized jump of 4.8 million jobs created last month. We're expecting 2.2 million this month. However, if that number significantly undershoots, it's much lower than expected, people may reassess the trajectory of the US economic recovery. And it may suggest that this COVID-19 sweeping the Sunbelt states is really starting to have this effect of a double dip recession in the United States. So that will be the big day to highlight uh, next Friday. Okay, Jeff, have a very good weekend and we'll speak to you again soon. Thanks for having me, cheers. From the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am. Listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.